looking in uh, Psalm 1 this morning. I'm going to read there in just a moment, and then, and then we'll pray. Um, some Bible scholars have said that Psalm 1, uh, the, the first of the Psalms, is like the Genesis 1 of the, of the wisdom books. That it's, um, it, is, it is the introduction to the book that describes the emotional life of the Christian or the, uh, the, the outlook on the Christian life. How it is that, that we're uh, to live in, in the day by day and to deal with our struggles and our ups and downs. And, and that, I think, makes Psalm 1 particularly appropriate as we uh, think about starting a new year. As we think about the future, as we think about uh, putting the past in the past and, and, and looking towards the future, uh, what is our, our orientation or attitude or, or posture towards the new year? And, and what is it that ultimately makes a difference? Let's read Psalm 1, verse 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. The wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Let's pray, and we'll turn to the explanation of God's word. Father, we thank you that we can be here, and we can hear your word this morning. Uh, we come gathering here this morning, having uh, had different experiences with relatives and friends and uh, family over the holidays. Some of those experiences have been good. Some of them have been painful. Some of them have been stressful. Some of the things that we're, we're looking forward to as we go back to work, as we get ready to go back to school, as we think about making changes in the new year, these, these things cause different emotions, different thoughts and anxieties and hopes to rise up in us, Lord. Uh, maybe we're dreading the start of a new year. Maybe we're dreading some project at, at work. Maybe there are some significant challenges coming. Maybe we are hopeful and excited. Lord, you are the one who knows. And because you know, you gave us words that, that we could reflect on and we can hide in our heart and we can say, yes, this is the truth. And we can hold on to that because it does not change. Our outlook may change. Our uh, surroundings, our circumstances, all kinds of things can change over the course of a year. But the scriptures say that you do not change. You remain the same. And while to some that might seem incredibly boring, those who 
know you and who know what it is that you offer find great stability and encouragement and reassurance and confidence there, knowing that you will not change. You don't fade. You don't grow weary. You don't sleep. You don't slumber. You do not change. And therefore, we can have great confidence and trust in you. Father, I pray that as we look out at the future, at this coming year, I pray that that we would fix our eyes on you and on your will and on your ways, Lord, that we might walk in faithfulness and that we might grow more and more into your image. We pray this knowing that you're good. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As we, as we come to the new year, uh, many times uh, we, we, we look at the new year as a, as a chance to reset, right? To, uh, it, to use computer terminology to, to reformat, right? To, to get started again. Uh, in the olden days, we might have called it uh, starting over with a blank slate, you know, uh, wiping things clean and, and, and starting new. Um, and, uh, and, and so in a, in a sense, I think we've grown in the computer age or in the modern era to think of, uh, of a new year as a chance for an upgrade, right? You know, uh, maybe you've got new technology over the holidays, right? You know, new computer, new phone, and, and you start fresh, right? And, and you, the, the battery holds its charge and, uh, there's, there's no clutter on your device. You know, everything's nice and clean and organized and uh, the, everything should work, right? Everything should just work right because the settings are, are right. And, and what, what I think has happened over uh, maybe the, the past 25 or, 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 yeah, maybe 25 years is we've grown into a society that, that thinks that we're more machines, then we are creatures. We, don't, we, we think because we're modern and because we have all these devices around us that, that uh, if they're just maintained properly, will we'll, we'll continue to, to run well, that that's what we're like. Uh, we've made them in our image, right? We've produced these devices and they reflect our desires and our wants. And... As we have shaped them, they're beginning to shape us, to shape the way that we think, to shape the way that, that we approach life. Here, here's what I believe is important as we consider the new year. We may fall into the trap. Jason, you set this up just right. It's good. It's good. We may fall into the trap of thinking if we just get the dials and the settings right at around midnight on uh, December 31st, right? If we, if we have all the uh, intents and thoughts of our heart correct, if, if we have everything planned and plotted out and we start right then at midnight, that somehow this year will be better, that will be better. But that's not the way we work as, as people. We're not machines, we don't need uh, an, an, uh, an upgrade. What we need most is a relationship. What we need is to understand who we are and how we stand in relationship to the Lord, right? This is not about having 
the right theology. As much as saying, I need to have the right attitude towards the Lord. I need to have the right relationship with him. I need to understand what I need to grow and to develop. And then I need to have a a plan of action that that follows through on those things being true. It's not just change some settings and, and be better. I believe there are all kinds of Christians who believe in the word of God. They believe that that God's word is is from God and that it is important and valuable and it teaches us things. You could say, we believe Isaiah 40 verse 8. And they would say, yes, the word of our God stands forever. They believe in the book of Hebrews where it says the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. They believe Matthew 24, 35, that says, my words will never pass away. And though they believe these things, they struggle in terms of of asking these questions of, am I right with God? Am I doing enough? Could I be better? Could I change? Can I improve? How How do I make sure I satisfy God in such a way that he'll never leave me or forsake me? Right. They intellectually believe that this is true, but emotionally they struggle. They believe this as their theology, their express theology. What do you believe? And then they say, I believe these things and they give all the right answers. And then you uh, you, there's a thing in your car that you use to check the oil. What's that thing called? I never I haven't touched it in forever. Um, You 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 check that emotional dipstick in the Christian and they are full of anxiety and worry and fear. And you you ask questions and dig deeper and say, well, how how is your assurance and how do you how do you feel in terms of your relationship? And there's all kinds of chaos and doubt and struggle there. There's there's a tremendous amount of worry. Here's the good news. At the beginning of the book of Psalms, the psalmist sets us right in terms of of our posture and and how we ought to be facing in order to live a blessed life. Right. We're going to we're going to come to New Year's Eve and we're going to start saying to folks, have a happy new year. Right. Happy new year. Um, the, The Hebrew word. Blessed, translated into English, means happy. It means uh, to to be uh, enjoying good circumstances and relationships. So, what the Jews would have called shalom, which is not just peace, like personal peace. It's it's not a feeling of peace necessarily, as much as it is being at peace in your relationships, being at peace with God, being at peace in your circumstances, enjoying this all-around calm and, and, and right relationship with everything. And when we are living that way, we are blessed. And so the psalmist begins by talking about being blessed and how we can live a, a blessed, happy life. Six short verses, poetic written to, to, to give us something that we can review in our minds, that we can, we can focus on. This is more than a, than a resolution. It's, it's the, 
uh, hearing and believing what's being said here to, as an anchor to, to hold us and to root us in place so that we're not thrown around by storms or, or stresses. When the emotional highs and lows come, we have something to hold fast to. When our circumstances change, we're able to say, <clears throat> I understand why this is happening, and I understand why this doesn't affect my relationship with God. And I can remain confident in him. What we're going to see as we look through this is that blessedness relates to the way that we live, the choices that we make. It depends, in a sense, on the kind of person that we are. From God's perspective, there are two and only two ways to live. This is, we don't have a, a, a salad bar of, of life options here where we can, we can pick and choose. There, there are two ways to live. There are two kinds of people in the world. It's interesting, they don't share our, the, the, the psalm writer didn't share our modern sensibilities, right? We, we pick and choose our words carefully in, in conversation. Uh, psalmist doesn't know what we find uh, offensive, what, what we are sensitive to. And so when he talks about two different lifestyles, he says there are two ways of living. There is uh, the way of the righteous, and there's the way of the wicked. And we're like, oh, wicked, you know? And then he throws in the word sinners and scoffers, right? Uh, and, and, and all kinds of, 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 of words that, that, uh, that cause offense. But in part, like, these words should be viewed as alarms, right? I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know about you, but I don't find a soothing alarm effective, right? Like soothing music puts me to sleep, doesn't wake me up. And so like uh, if, if my, I've set my phone alarm to, uh, to, to, to play soothing music, it wouldn't wake me up. I'd just sleep through it, right? No, what my alarm does is it's this is the most annoying noise in the entire world. Wake up, right? I hear it in other people's rooms in the house, you know, uh, not my alarm, but uh, we have this uh, Lego Batman clock in Hank's room. And when he sets that thing and it goes off at random times, like 4.30 in the morning, I'm like, I got to get to that thing as fast as possible. And in the, those moments, I'm just like, oh, I can't stand this thing. What we... In our, in our uh, let's call it delicacy, right? In our, in our fragility, what we've done is, is we've said, if words offend us, if something causes us distress or pain, we need to do away with it, not consider it. There are all kinds of things that are, are out there in the world that may cause alarm, right? Blood test results, Right? It, it's, it's not, oh, that offends me, I choose to ignore it. Sometimes we need to make some adjustments, right? You know, the, uh, the, the, the result, the, the alarms that, 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 that shout out at us, we need to say, hey, I need to pay attention to this. I need to, I need to focus and I need to listen in and I need to absorb the information and I need to make choices. The psalmist talks about, who the righteous are, how they live, why they're blessed. And then it shows us the end result of both ways of life. And it challenges us, unspoken, 
to choose. Make a choice. Who are you going to live? Who are you going to serve? Where Joshua, uh, in the account in the book of Joshua, when, when he says, choose this day who you will serve. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. He, we, we're, we're, we're given Psalm 1 in the form of a story, the form, a form of history of Israel. Here, poetry confronts us. All throughout the Bible, we're, we're challenged to make choices. And those choices lead to certain results, certain conditions. People might think that's unpopular, that we ought to change the way that we teach. There are those who are calling for Christianity to be softer, for it to be more diverse, for it to be more understanding or more compassionate. I would say this. uh, I I think that, that a... Uh, a set of teaching that enters into the world and says all people of all kinds can be part of this. All people have this serious problem of sin or an alienated from God and all can enter into a relationship with Christ. I think that's pretty diverse. Uh, The problem is that that people act like we made this stuff up, right? And, and, And we have the right to change it. Like last I checked, this wasn't written in pencil. I can't erase it. And even if I try, if I like glue on new teaching onto the page, you're going to know because you've got your own printed copy too, right? The, the issue here is, is that the book is given to us by the Holy Spirit, who is a person. And who isn't That's right. He does not change. The book is the account of, of the God of history as he as he, as he tells the story of redemption, the, the shaping of the, of the world and the, the bringing of Messiah, both of whom, God the Father and the Son, are real people. And we don't have a right to change their story. And so everybody gets to choose. Am I going to live my life in a way that faces the Lord or am I going to turn away from him? Three broad areas then, as we, as we look into the scriptures. Uh, the first is the way of the righteous, the second is the way of the wicked, and then the end of both. And let me just say this before we start. Uh, the psalmist who, who wrote this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and, and the people who, who put this book together and who, who took these 150 psalms and assembled them as the, the hymn book of the, the Jewish people and, 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 and who, who preserved this so that Christians would have this guide for their emotional life once Messiah came. The people who wrote this may not have shared the sensibilities of the people who came after, of, of Christians. They may have truly believed there are two kinds of people in the world. The righteous who are righteous and who do righteous things and think righteous thoughts and live a righteous life. There's them. And then there's the wicked. And the wicked are bad. They're horrible. They're awful. Right? This is probably the way that they thought. There's us. Right? The righteous. And then there's the wicked. That's everybody else. Not realizing that one day when Messiah came... What Messiah would reveal is that there's none righteous. 
that there's not a single righteous person at all, that everyone is wicked, that we all fall short of the glory of God, and that when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we receive his righteousness. And so there's a sense of of judgment that comes when we read this passage that comes just because we don't throw around words like wicked nowadays. There's also something that's inconsistent with, with what we believe as far as the New Testament goes, right? The New Testament teaches that, and in the Old Testament as well, that all are unrighteous, that we need a savior, that we need a Messiah to go to the cross for us and give us his righteousness so that we can say, I'm I'm a child of God, I've been adopted by him, I've been filled with his spirit. And so when we consider these two options, these two ways, we, we need to consider them understanding that those who call themselves righteous do so by the grace of God, right? It's not, nothing that we've done on our own. It's not something that, that, man, if those people were just smarter, they would live this way. You know, if they were just better, they would live this way. No, we all struggle we have all failed, and we all receive the, the status of righteousness the same way by admitting that we're sinners, putting our faith and trust in Christ. So let's look at the, the way of the righteous. The way of the righteous, in verse 1 through 3, it says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He's like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. Okay, just some some simple ideas about living the blessed life or about the way of the righteous from this passage. The first is this. It is possible for a person to have a truly blessed or truly happy life. It's possible. There, there are some who they, they read certain things in the New Testament about, about suffering or they read certain things about uh, their own condition as sinners and they conclude, okay, the goal of my life then is to... Uh, trudge forward knowing that I'm a sinner and that suffering's coming and that life is difficult and that, you know, I'm not good. And, and, and they frame themselves in such a way that they're like, okay, my future will be bad, right? And as long as I believe that, then I'm living the Christian life, right? Right? Like we all suffer, right? You know, so like bring on the suffering. I'm, I'm super excited about that because I'm living the Christian life. No, 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 no. No, the psalmist says that the one who lives this way is blessed or happy in a proper relationship with God. It's possible to live that kind of life. You could translate these verses, oh, the blessedness of the man, or happy is the man who. And then he goes on to talk about how how we are blessed when we walk in the way. When we, when we travel the right path, when we, when we live in a way that honors God. Here's what's, here's what's so important. I think at this point, right, we shift into give me the principles then. Like hand me the rules. Um, I think we ought to think of this more like 
home maintenance than like paint by numbers. A lot of people want to paint by numbers Christian life, right? What color do I put in this box right here? So like, okay, I'm called to pray. How much should I pray every day? Uh, I'm called to read the Bible. How much Bible should I read? How much is enough? Like, is that what we really want out of a relationship? Is that, is that, does that feel like a healthy relationship? Instead, I think, um, I think, think more like home maintenance. Think, think like general instructions and guidelines, right? Have you ever read the back of a, of a, a can of paint? It says, like, apply in these temperatures. Make sure you're working in a well-ventilated area. Wash your brush with this and apply in thick, even strokes. If you're using a roller, do this. It doesn't say, like, start in the left corner of your living room, right? Because the can of paint and the manufacturers, they don't know. They don't know what your house looks like. They don't even know what color paint is in the can, right? They just, they just know that this particular substance needs to be used in this particular way under these particular conditions. And so we're told to live in a particular way. What is that way? We're, we're, we're told that a life, is, a happy, blessed life is truly possible. And then we're, we're shown this set of guidelines or suggestions, Right? Some of those suggestions, when it comes to home maintenance and craftsmanship, they're like the best advice ever, and they sound so simple, right? Don't ever cut toward yourself, right? Always wear eye protection. You're like, ah, I don't need eye protection. You're right. You don't until you need it, right? You never need it until you need it. You, you, can, you can do all kinds of stuff for years, and then you just hit that moment where you uh, twist that screw too hard, or you hit that nail the wrong way, and it bang, zoom, bounces off something, and you're like, ah, and you can't do anything for the next six hours, or maybe you can't ever see again, right? Because you needed eye protection in that moment. It's a general guideline that covers a host of circumstances. God gives us broad, general guidelines for living that lead to a blessed and happy life. And so it's possible. Second, it's interesting to note here that blessedness, happiness begins with the negative, not the positive. We're, we're so fixated on the positive. And I think part of that is because we're delicate or fragile. We're, we're living in a society that's like, only give us the positive. We don't say anything that's not positive. Give us Give us happiness and positivity all the time. And so we never turn and address the negative, or when we do, it's awkward. But, but what is amazing here is that the psalmist begins with the negative. Again, he doesn't, he doesn't know that our culture is going to be in this condition one day where we're going to just want to be happy, happy, happy all the time. Or maybe he does. And that's why he starts with the negative. He said, the one who is Blessed doesn't listen to the counsel of the wicked. He doesn't stand in the way of sinners, and he doesn't sit in the seat of those who scoff. So there's these, these three things here, right? These, these, these three ideas were warned, or these three practices were told, hey, don't live this way. Don't listen to the advice of the wicked. Don't 
Stand in the way of sinners. Don't sit in the seat of scoffers. You see the progression here, right? There's, there's walking, and then there's standing, and then there's sitting, right? Imagine the, the trajectory of this guy's life, the guy who's going the wrong way. First, he's walking down the road. Then he stops to hang out with people he shouldn't be hanging out with. And then he finds out that he enjoys hanging out with them and he sits down and he becomes best friends with them. That's, that's the image. It's somebody who stops moving or who's, who, was, who was moving in a wrong direction and then gave up. Uh, the counsel of the wicked means uh, the, the advice of those who have no room in their life for God. Meaning that they, that they have understood that there are certain moral demands and there are call, there's a call in their life to live a particular way and they say, uh, no, I can figure it out on my own. Now we might look around and we say, that doesn't make them wicked. Like, you know, they don't kick every cat that they see and, and they're not constantly trying to figure out how to defraud people and they're not living as horrible lives as they, they could Some of them are actually really nice people. Well, the word wicked doesn't mean as horrible and nasty as somebody could be every single moment of their life. That's that's not what the word wicked means. The word wicked means whatever God says it means. And what it means is living a life that writes God out. We're created to live in relationship with him and to live respecting him. And when we say no and we shut him out, then we're, we're choosing to shut him out completely. The counsel of the wicked is, is, is listening to the, the advice of those who have no room for God in their, in their thinking. The way of, of sinners is following the, the lifestyle choices that result from that way of thinking. And the seat of mockers or or scoffers is um, long-term friendship with those uh, who reject the Lord in their thinking and who reject him in their behavioral choices. And so there's there's a progression here, right? First, we, we adopt a way of thinking and then a way of behaving and then we belong. Worldly wisdom leads to worldly action, which leads to worldly living as a set pattern of our life. And so the advice here is know the things of the Lord, right? Knowing what we know about who God is and the way God calls us to live, avoid listening to that advice. Avoid stopping and spending an enormous time enormous amount of time with these folks. Avoid or, or don't, don't dwell with them and, and their way of thinking. Don't live and swim in it. Now, I understand that when I say that, somebody might say, oh, but the Great Commission, right, is to go and make disciples. We're to love our neighbors as ourselves, right? We're to, we're to, to be uh, we're to be in the world, right? And we're to be uh, out there trying to reach these folks. How do we do that if we don't ever spend any time with them? I would say this. We don't win people to Christ by 
living like people who don't know Christ. Amen. Right? We win people who don't know Christ by loving people who don't know Christ and living like people who know Christ. Right? We don't, we don't go uh, out into the world and say, I will show you exactly how much like you I am and exactly how much my thinking is just like yours so that you'll want to be like me. They won't see any difference. No, we say, I'm, I'm going to live like my Savior. I'm going to try to live like a believer among you. And it, it's going to be difficult. There's going to be like... There's going to be bumps and it's going to be weird and and there's going to be times where we don't agree on things. We need to bring truth into the world, but truth that's backed up by the fact that we are loving and kind and understanding and compassionate. But we don't enter into the world and lower our Standards, by which I mean our moral standards. Think about it this way. A boat is designed to be in water, right? But it gets, it's bad when water gets in the boat, right? Right? We need to keep that proper balance and that proper perspective. That means we need to be in relationship both with the Lord and with, with other people. One of, the, one of the great dangers, struggles, disappointments that I've, I've found in the church is I think that people are so wired towards this need to live right and act right all the time and never admit that they're a sinner or that there's anything that, that goes wrong. And so they're never vulnerable with anybody, right? They keep up this this perfectionistic attitude, like, like, don't look at me. I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm just, I'm living the Christian life the way I'm supposed to, you know, don't, don't look at me. And so since we are never vulnerable with other people, they don't know who to turn to when there's a struggle. And so they turn to people outside of the church because the people inside the church are going to judge them. Now, here's the truth. Nine times out of ten, when I've opened up and said, hey, here's what I'm struggling with, other people are like, oh, yeah, I struggle with that too. Right? Or when somebody says, hey, I struggle, they're not met with that wall of judgment. Instead, they're met with compassion and care. We need to find solid, encouraging relationships within the church so that we can go out into the world and share through those relationships. What we do so often is because we don't find encouragement and fellowship here is we go outside and then we start living like them because we can be vulnerable with people who don't know Jesus. Here's what, here's what I think I, is, is so incredibly encouraging though, right? Think if you can get your relational needs met in the church and you can go out then and you can find and interact with some people who are outside of the church who you love and you would love to be friends with and you find them encouraging because they're nice people, right? It's like, Share Jesus with them and bring them into the church, right? If they're awesome out there and you love them, then love them in. Bring them in. Share. Not to turn people into projects or to be like, oh, if they just hear about Jesus once, they'll, they'll become a Christian. We, we need to love them. We just need to not adopt their worldview or their way of thinking and their, their course of life. 
I went off-road a little bit there. It's possible for a person, thank you, to, to live a blessed and happy life. Second, uh, blessing begins with the negative, not the positive. Um, third, blessedness comes from building your life on the Lord and on his word. What it says here is that, is that the one who's blessed doesn't walk in the way of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of scoffers, but instead his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. How do we, how do we distinguish between thinking which is godly and, and thinking which is not? How do, we, how do we figure out how we're supposed to live, what we're supposed to do? We build that thinking and those behaviors on God's word. We pour clean water in. We apply truth and garbage washes away. We resist the negative and we embrace the positive, which is, which is the word of God. The, the psalmist tells us here that the, the godly person delights in the law of God. That means that he loves the word of God. He loves the scriptures. He takes pleasure in it. Uh, if you ask somebody in conversation, what is it that you most love? Maybe they won't be honest with you, but if they are honest, if they tell you that they're super excited about something, right, you'll see their eyes light up. You'll see them. They get passionate about it. Um, they, they, will, they will talk about it endlessly and for hours. They're, they're so excited about it that they just want to keep talking and talking and talking. I've found even after the latest Star Wars movie has come out, people who love Star Wars, they love to talk about how much they hated this new movie, right? You know, they just, they, 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 because they love the idea or the story or the concept of it. We need to learn how to love God's word. And part of that means that we need to learn to understand it. Maybe... The focus of 2020 isn't, I'm going to read through the Bible in a year. Maybe the focus is, I'm going to read something that's going to help me understand the Bible. I'm going to try to understand the storyline so that as I read uh, the book of Ezekiel or the book of Isaiah or I'm reading Leviticus, I'm like, what is this stuff, right? So often, you're, you're, you're reading the Bible, right? You start in Genesis and it's all going well and you, you start through Exodus and you're like, okay, this is cool. There's a lot of talking and commands here. What's going on? And then you hit Leviticus and you're like, I am out, <laughs> right? Leviticus is rough sledding, but if you understood and knew the outlines and the, the focus of, of what's going on there, maybe your reading would be different. Focus on, on getting a taste for it. Um, and there are books that I could recommend. If you want to know more or you want to, want to figure something out, instead of just setting up for, for what, 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 I would, what I would call a, like a through-the-year heavy eating plan, right? You know, you're just going to jump in there and try to understand this. No, instead focus on understanding the book and what's going on. It's a delight when you understand the outlines of what's going on. How do we devote ourselves to God's word if we don't even understand it? The blessedness comes from building our life on the word of God. It is instructive, it ought to be instructive to us, that Jesus knew and meditated on God's word, not just to be a good boy, 
but he focused on it to resist and fight back against temptation. He absorbed and knew God's word so that when the devil came to tempt him, think about it, to ruin everyone's lives, he focused on knowing God's word so that he could resist and fight back against the devil. That means there's something critical about knowing God's word. He responds to each and every temptation. Think about this. This is God himself in the flesh who could have said anything that he wanted to, and it would have been true, right? And instead of speaking his own words to the devil, what he does is he quotes from the book of Deuteronomy over and over and over again. Why is that? Part of it is because he was fully man and it had power for him. It provided power to resist temptation. Part of it is he's serving as an example for us of how we ought to live. And so when temptation comes, his life is rooted and fixed on God's word. And he's able to fight back against temptation. Fourth observation about this section here is that the blessed life is marked by stability and fruitfulness. There are so many things that we think, man, 2020 will be awesome if I'm just able to do this, right? If I, can, uh, if I can change jobs or if I can become wealthy or if I can get my weight exactly where I want it or if I can, you know, uh, establish this relationship, if I can get here, I can get there, you know, like there are all these shifting things that we're after in the coming year. But what the psalmist says about life and the life that's blessed is that it's stable and fruitful. The person who builds his life on God's word is like a tree planted by streams of water. His life is stable and fruitful. Man, we had a tree that was growing in the courtyard here when we moved in that, w- that had been sitting on top of our septic system, not ours, it was somebody else's, for what, 50 years, 100 years, whatever, I don't know. But, but man, it was sitting right out there drinking up all that water that was constant. It's gross, but that's trees, right? And, and let me tell you, this thing, it was like, whoa, there's a lot of water here. You know, if I just sink my roots deep in there and it destroyed the septic system, it's, it was just thirsty. It's okay, right? And, and, and we, we fixed it. But it just sunk those roots deep down. It grew up huge. And every year it would just rain down an absolute ton of leaves and acorns everywhere. Right? It was just like, you're not knocking me over. And I'm going to dump all my stuff everywhere constantly. That's a healthy tree. The guys who came out to look at it, they were like, that is a huge tree. That tree is enormous. And we're like, you cut trees down, right? Yeah, can you cut this tree down? I don't know, it's really big. (laughs) Stable, fruitful. That's what matters with trees, right? The temptation that Jesus struggled was that that he he was told by the devil, you could meet your every single need. Go ahead, make tons of bread out of these rocks. Jump off the the top of the temple and be amazing and spectacular. Worship me and I'll give you power. Jesus says, nope, it's not what I'm after. Stable, fruitful, right? Think about it. He, He struggled, he was rejected, he was put to death unjustly. And 
he established the church and saved our souls. That's much more effective than what the devil presented to him. And so we need to be careful what it is that we're after. If we build our life on the law of the Lord, we will be stable. Remember the, the story of the men who built the men who build their houses on rock and on sand. The, 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 the winds come and the rains and the wind beat against the house and the one built on sand falls flat. But the one built on stone dug down deep into a firm foundation, that stands. It's stable. Fruitfulness, it produces its fruit in season, right? Fruit that expresses the, the inner character of, of what's going on. Uh, I'm a simple person. I don't know a lot about trees. People are like, oh, that's a this, that's a that. I don't know any about that. You know what? I know, like, that's an orange tree. Well, how do you know? Well, there's oranges on it, right? We're, we're known by our fruits. Whatever is on the inside shows up on the outside, And so when our roots are deep in the word, when we're focused on the Lord and on his ways, we're going to be able to draw forth from from God's law and God's spirit, whatever it is that we need, whenever we need it. We need to love through a particularly difficult situation. We need to forgive. We need to show compassion. Where does that come from? We like we we so often think of, oh, I got to go to the shelf and go find it. Right. I'm an angry person. I don't, I don't have any of that on my shelves ever. It doesn't work that way. We, we, we pull it out of our roots when we need it. John 15, 4, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. The branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. Fruit For apart from me, you can do nothing. When we have need, when we need virtue or we need strength, we need to be able to resist, we need to be able to fight back, to, to continue to walk in the way of the Lord, we need to, we need to tap into the ground, into, the, into the, the resources being given us to us by Christ. Now, here's the thing about this. That means that success, being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might and resisting temptation, that often that's going to feel like weakness because our strength's not coming from the inside, from ourselves. It's coming from the Lord. And so that means that the experience is going to be something like, I, I, have, a, I have a need in this situation. I feel empty. I feel weak. We turn to the Lord. Holy Spirit, fill me. And then the filling comes and we respond. And we think, like, why aren't, our be- why aren't I better? Maybe you don't need to be better, Amen. right? Maybe you've got everything that you need. You just need to live in constant dependence. Did the Lord give us any examples of that? Didn't the, didn't the Israelites live for 40 years in tents, and every single day they had to go out and pick up their food? Every day, every day. And they were, like, tired of picking up this food every day. It's free food, guys. Like, it's everywhere. But, but people don't like to feel weak. They don't like to feel dependent. But that's, we're created to be in dependence on the Lord at all times. Last observation, that blessedness prospers in all situations. It says here that their leaf does not wither. I'm not getting through all this this morning. Not happening. Nope. Their leaf does not 
wither. Uh, are there leafy, are there like evergreen trees that produce fruit that you can eat? I don't know. But that's the image here is that constantly refreshed, constantly renewed, constantly drawing on new strength. Not living off yesterday's blessings, but living each and every day in the strength of the Lord. I think it's so instructive that we're, we're talking about being, uh, living a blessed life. And the scriptures say that the joy of the Lord will be our strength, right? That his joy and delight will fuel us. The leaf doesn't wither. Why? Because the resources don't ever get cut off. They're always there. Second, they prosper in all they do. We have taken the word prosperity and we've switched it to mean material success and life success and goal success. And we say, man, if you just have enough faith, everything you do is going to go great. But that's not the way the story's told. We struggle. We face temptation. We fall prey to temptation. We fail. We get sick. People that we love disappoint us. We die. And we think, well, that's not prosperity. Well, maybe prosperity is holding fast to the Lord in all times and hold, staying on the path at all times. Maybe that's prosperity. We've just have our, we're, we're enamored with success syndrome. If we look at Romans chapter 8, Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? And then he asks this question, what shall separate us from the love of Christ? Now ask yourself, you know in your mind, you're like, I know the answer to this, that nothing's going to separate me. But then, then, then think, when I'm in these situations, do I ask the question, where is God? Has he abandoned me? Emotionally, so often we do. What shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? And then Paul says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ our Lord. The one who walks in the way of the Lord, who resists those those influences which would draw him away, but instead sinks his roots deep down into the law of the Lord, that person, their leaf does not wither and they'll prosper in all they do. All right, I'm going to take two or three minutes and wrap it up. Fast forward. And I just, I want to, I just want to say two or three things. Uh, the first one is this, that, that, that we need to stop thinking of the Christian life as an all or nothing success or failure type situation. Many times we don't try because we think, well, I'll fail and therefore I shouldn't try at all. I think the better way to approach the Christian life is to learn how to get back up again. Right? right? Learn how to get back up again. Yeah, you're going to get knocked over, but like I'm pretty sure none of us in this room crawled in here this morning, which means you you 
pulled yourself up and didn't fall back down on your diaper, right? You know, you, you got back up and you walked over and over and over again until you walk all over the place now, right? You, you just pushed your way through it. So often, I think what happens in the Christian life is the devil knocks us over and we say, oh, I'll just stay down here forever and never try again. No, there, there's this series of actions in your mind, right, that happen when you fall down. You're like, oh, I'm on my back. I need to flip over. I need to push myself off the ground. I need to try again. And because we've been given the righteousness of Christ, when we fail, we just need to say, I failed. I need to try again. I need to get back to it. So learn to rise. Like, learn to not be, like, to look at your life as completely and utterly burned down because something went wrong. Stuff's going to go wrong, folks. The good news is that Jesus gives us his righteousness so that when stuff goes wrong, we're still right. And we can come back to him and we can say, Lord, I need help. And he's like, I'm here for you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. So learn to rise. Second, as long as the world is what it is, godliness is going to feel negative. It's going to feel negative, right? You're going to be the one who's going to choose to say, you know what, I'm not going to put myself in this situation anymore. I'm not going to behave this way. I'm not going to act this way or think this way. And it's going to cause struggle in relationships. But that's the way everything positive happens, right? Some guy was like, you know what? We're driving around in these cars. Maybe we ought to like, put belts in them so that when there's accidents, people don't die, right? And people were like, you're crazy. People are going to think cars are unsafe. Cars are already unsafe. And now there's seatbelts everywhere. Like they made fun of that guy and he died, you know, not from the, the mocking, but he died. And then somebody was like, you know what? He may have been right. And now there's seatbelts in all cars. It wasn't optional last time you bought a car, right? They're in there, and you got to put them on, or the police, they drive past you, and they look into your window, and they pull you over, put your belt on. Like, it's a big thing. But he had to push through what was negative. Many times, we're going to encounter that in the Christian life, where we say, I need to make an adjustment, or we need to make an adjustment. We need to change the way that we're living. And there'll be resistance. It will feel negative. But it's negative first until you push through to positive. Third, many people who seem successful, many people who seem like the, wor- the, the, the rules and the standards of God don't apply to them, they may get away with it for a long time. But when judgment comes, the answer will be made plain. First Timothy 5.24, Paul says, the sins of some people are conspicuous going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. There may be somebody that you work with, somebody that you know, somebody that you follow on Instagram, whatever. Their life is perfect. Their kids are perfect. Their life is perfect. They've just got tons of money, whatever. Everything's great with them. You talk to them at work. You're like, how is your life so great? And they're like, I don't know. It's just great. Or they're like, my life's great because I'm great. And you're like, man, maybe I should break the rules too. Don't do it. Don't do it. Because what's going to happen is on the final day, it's all going to be revealed. Because we're not the judges of the story. The Lord is the judge. And finally, the happiest people in the world are those who are, whose lives are built on the word of God. 
And this is where we need to, 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 to resist the culture that says, well, what's my interpretation of this passage? And instead, we need to say, how do I appropriate this? How do I live it? Instead of, instead of saying, uh, this passage means this to me, we need to say, this is what the passage means. And therefore, this is what it means for me. And build and adjust our lives to, to live out this word. What should pastors be preaching? God's word. Amen. What should small groups be studying? God's word. What should Christians be studying individually and, and developing an appetite and understanding for? God's word. Right? We build our lives here and we'll be truly blessed. And this book points us over and over to the fact that God is gracious and loving and kind, and he offers the righteousness of Christ, his perfect patience, his persistent peace, his never-ending, gracious, kind response to us. Always, always, while we draw breath, we can come to him and say, I have a need, and we can be assured that he'll never leave us or forsake us. And so, so focus on the word and look for Christ in it. All right, I'm going to pray. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your grace and kindness toward us. I pray that as we approach 2020, we, we would remain two, is it 2,000, 4,000 years out of date. Uh, people are looking for the next big thing. They're looking for the next great thing, the next big fad, the, the next way to, to change everything about themselves. But you have been doing the same thing since the beginning. You have been saying, trust in me. Depend on me. Lay hold of me. Trust in my grace. Trust in Christ's righteousness. And so I pray that, that we would not lose heart, that we would not give up, that we would not pursue other paths, other gods, other gospels, because there are none. There is only you, and there is only your word. And I pray that, that we would face you, we would resist the, the temptation that comes from the world, that we would build our lives on your word, Lord, each and every day. Not our works, but your word. Father, make it so, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.